Hello and welcome to this new edition of the Fuji podcast. We'll talk about programming for fun. Grab your Lego and robots and let's talk about STEM and STEAM. Welcome to the Fuji podcast, all your news about OpenJDK. As a developer, we all get frustrated occasionally when a bug messes up our schedule and we have to dive deep into the code to find a solution. But still, many of us keep coding in our free time as we just love to do it and we want to create amazing stuff. Today we talk to volunteers from different organizations where coding is used to inspire children to become engineers or at least learn to make good use of computers and the tools around them. Hi, my name is Shim Borarski. I work as a developer in New York City. I mainly do Java. I also volunteer with FIRST Robotics in my free time and write books. Hey, I'm Monica Beckwith. I work with Microsoft. I am the Java Virtual Machine Performance Architect. So basically any workloads, uh, you know, internal workloads at Microsoft or Azure, what uh, first party, third party workloads. Uh, if they are Java-based or they, if they run on the JVM, then then I will help you. <laughs> I have kids and family, so spare time is kind of like <laughs> and non-existent in my life. But uh, I love to spend as much time as I can in uh, propagating uh, STEM uh, technology and techniques and programming. So I volunteer for FIRST, but at a smaller scale than Gene. And I also try to volunteer for different organizations like TEALS program, which we can talk about later. Hi, I'm Igor Souza. I have around 20 years experience in development. I work with different languages. Majority of the time was Java. I had the opportunity to work with Hadoop when the Hadoop started, like I'm kind of in the big data area. Currently, I work as a software developer in a data engineer team. I work with Kotlin currently. In my spare time, I enjoy doing things with Raspberry Pi and Arduino. I kind of do a lot of maker stuff. I keen in the maker community. It's when I joke, like when the fun starts. And uh, I have a pet project. I always have a pro pro uh, different pets project, but the current one, it's I'm trying to using a lead stripe to create uh, things to teach basic concepts of data structure, data streams, and things like that. And of course, I... I join as a volunteer or and as a content creator in several coded journals as well. Thank you. Thank you for joining. I'm Frank Delporte. I'm technical writer at Azul and I'm also a Coder Dojo coach since 2013 and uh, also participated a few times in the first uh, Lego League competition. Uh, Jean and Monica, uh, so you're both volunteers for FIRST. Uh, can you explain a bit what this organization tries to achieve? Yeah, I can start and then Jean can follow up because I work at the for middle school and high school kids and Jean is primarily focused on high school and about the first, the whole concept of first is they want to recognize science and technology. Uh, and I think that's what, if you look at the acronym first, I think it's like recognition of science and technology in this space. Um, the way I work with uh, first is I work for something called FLL and FLL Junior, although most of my time is spent in FLL, uh, which is for the middle school uh, kids. Uh, what that means is that 
it just stands, the FLL stands for First Lego League. <laughs> so they build on the le- concepts of Lego and uh, they're actually work with a robot uh, right now. I think Prime Spike is the newest introduction, which is pretty cool compared to what we used to have. So we call them bricks. So the previous one was literally like a brick and it was not very fancy looking, but Prime, um, Spike Prime is really, really nice. It has this kind of a friendly face and it uh, it's colorful. Mm-hmm. So it's really enticing to kids to be able to work and understand the concepts of programming and these kind of sympathizing with hardware because you work with sensors, you work with all these concepts of how to train your robot to do the stuff that you want. So it's kind of like a robot game. And there's other things which I want to talk about in more details, but I want to give the floor to Jean so that she can talk about the more interesting stuff uh, as you graduate to high school. While I judge the Lego program that Monica described, most of my time is spent with high school students. For high school, there's two programs. There's FTC First Check Challenge, where they build 18-inch robots. This is one you could feasibly do in your basement or your community. I also volunteer with FRC, First Robotics Challenge, where the robots are five feet tall and weigh almost as much as I do. For FTC, they're using Android, which means they do get to do um, Java programming via Android. And for FRC, they have a choice of Robot C, Java, LabVIEW, or soon Python. Our team uses Java. It's a lot of fun. I think I ended up at the sources of that project because I was looking for a Java implementation of controlling a LED strip. So we come back to Igor <laughs> with that ID. And I think I found something which is part of the of FRC uh, library that is shared. A few years ago, as I mentioned, I also participated on the first Lego League with a group of teenagers. Uh, those were children of my colleagues when I was working for Televic. That was really fun. Everyone has the same table with a lot of of challenges and you have to program your robot. Uh, We even uh, achieved to get in the semifinals in the Netherlands. I will add a link to the video in the show notes of this podcast because it was, it's really a great event. It's, it's like the, the, the the robot wars that you see on television, but then the friendly edition. Yeah, <laughs> you don't uh, break apart the, the robot of your, your your competitors. Yeah, these are really nice and and very well organized events. So I think first is really is that a big company behind there? It's a nonprofit organization. Um, there are a good number of employees in Manchester, New Hampshire, in the United States, but most of it is volunteer run. I'm on the volunteer planning committee for the New York City Regional, and I can tell you that the volunteers do a lot of work. Igor, as you said, you're also uh, doing Coder Dojos. Can you tell them a bit about that organization? Coder Dojo is kind of a community, a, a global community, a place where you can fee, see and find like fee program workshops and for younger people and STEAM. You can volunteer in different ways. You can volunteer for teaching. You can volunteer for helping, for mining. You don't even need it. no programming skills to volunteer. So it's kind of a website or an organization or a global place that you can have find. You can share and find information and some kind of guides, workshops for teaching young people. I, I started nine years ago with uh, two Code Dojo clubs in Belgium. I think I would organization uh, four and five on the list. Now we have over 100 locations in Belgium. Uh, it's really growing. And I think it's for engineers, IT-minded people, also a great opportunity to join such an organization and become a volunteer. 
did you see an impact on your career, for instance, Igor, by joining Coder Dojo? Yeah, there is a fun fact. I'm I'm originally from Brazil, but uh, I I based in Dublin, Ireland for a long time, more than ten years. And Coder Dojo was found here mm-hmm. and grows a lot. Actually, the fun the fun stuff. Borns on Ireland, but grows more in UK and then conquers the world. If you outside Europe, there is a code.org that is kind of a similar for US version. South mm-hmm. America as well. Brazil follows a lot of those. But it's the same thing. It's a nice experience going, see what the kids can do it, learning. You, as I said, like you you grow and you learn in lots of things like uh, creativity, uh, how amazing the kids are. You can see like a 12, 11, 12 doing programming, uh, doing websites or doing uh, hardware, blink, uh, blinking a LED with Raspberry Pi and Venus. And then you can uh, help uh, like minding, uh, creating content or just uh, teaching or be kind of an inspiration for the kids, right? Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah, we are all involved as volunteers in these organizations, but do you think that these have an impact really on the number of students which end up in a STEM-oriented study? I, I think so, yeah. But it also depends on the student and the family and how they continue uh, down that path. You know, for example, my own kids, one is in high school, one is in middle school now. But I started the FLL uh, working for, you know, volunteering for the FLL program when my kid was in the primary. Both my kids were in the primary. And then the one that moved to middle school is when we started. She's a girl and her all her girlfriends were so excited to take part. And they were just being kids. And, you know, sometimes they just did not want to pay attention or whatever. But it was fun to see their brains click on ideas. One part of the FLL program is to do research. Sometimes, you know, uh, people, and it doesn't have to be gender-based or whatever, but people tend to be very task-oriented. And people tend tend to be this, like, I, you know, kind of approach-oriented. And people tend to be just wanting to do coding. That's all they want to do. I just want to code. I don't want to worry about how to get through or how to follow a line. I just want to see this robot do dance or whatever. But the opportunities that this, these programs, and I'm sure Coda Dojo, and I want to talk about that because um, my daughter, you know, I encouraged uh, participation in this Coda, Code Chica program uh, that was local. And so I saw that happen and the teacher was not conversant in the programming languages, but she learned and she learned along with the kids and everything. Mm-hmm. And I saw the girls go from not talking at all, like no communication at all, no questions asked, nothing. Just do this, do this, do this, follow through to at the end, give a presentation where they were talking about their inspirations and they're talking about how they benefited from the program. So I hope they follow through because I, you know, I can only influence a small pond, you know, and then everybody else, they needs to just go swim, you know, uh, eager or Jean, if you have anything else, like, I have so many good positive experiences that I'm just touched uh, by being a small part of it. So because I'm dealing with the high schoolers, I'm a little bit closer to seeing what they ultimately do. And what's really cool about FRC is the teams are much larger than FLL. It could be 20 kids to 100 kids or more, and that lets us specialize. 
For example, in my team, we have a business department, a software engineering department, and an engineering department, and there are subspecialties within them, and kids will learn about vision or they'll learn electronics. And what's nice about that is they can try a lot of different things, and before they even apply to a college, they know what they're interested in. So they can apply to a college that specializes in the thing they're interested in. So I think it helps them choose. We definitely have kids who it's like, oh, I tried software and learned that wasn't for me. The next year, I'm going to try out business or engineering. But I mean, talk about a low risk way of doing it. You're not spending thousands of dollars in a year of your life to find out that, oh, I studied this and I don't like it. Um, And I've been doing this for 14 years. So I see what kids have done after they've graduated college. A lot of them have gone into technology. I will grant you a lot of them probably would have anyway. I understand the difference between correlation and causation here, but I think it helps them figure out what they want to do and get to making a meaningful impact faster. And it also helps the kids learn about what things are like. A lot of our kids are first generation and us mentors are the first people they've ever met who work in office building, right? I had kids ask me about jury duty and learn about that. So it's not just the technology, it's making that networking and connections that they might not necessarily be able to. We are kind of a digital age, right? The kids already born, they have like uh, touch screens and uh, tablets and things. So they they get excited, they get uh, curious to know like, can I build my program? Can I do something? If you just blink the screen or just turn on, turn off something, they get excited. So. I think we already mentioned Scratch, which is one of these tools that are often used in these, uh, these clubs. I think that's an amazing tool. It looks like Lego bricks. You stick pieces of code together by just dragging and dropping them, but you can actually build amazing things. Like our, uh, <laughs> looking at my generation, our first games like Pac-Man and all these games exist in Scratch. So you can even see how someone else made it. You can, th- that's the thing my son did to learn Scratch. He just took fancy animations and then changed them that his name was in the animation instead of something else and that's how how kids really learn these tools they are so great it's playing with code and that's i think a great thing one of the things you mentioned about um, how these clubs work you have the rule of three in coder dojo first you try it yourself then you ask it to your neighbor and if that doesn't work out you ask it to a coach and i think that's indeed one of the reasons how kids start interacting and learning from each other. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, and and people from different parts of the world too, like some of these programs, they're, of course, they're time bound. And so it depends on what zone or what continent can participate in what programs. But uh, the Code Chica program, for example, uh, reaches out and it was in UK and we had kids from UK. We had kids uh, from South America and then we had kids uh of course, from the most majority from the U.S., but different time zones across the U.S. And we meet on Saturday. So sometimes it's evening for some people, it's morning for some people. But the adjustment, just knowing there, there are girls out there. This is just very girls-specific program. But knowing that girls out there in different countries wanting to learn and, and getting together, reaching out. And sometimes the conversations are just like, hey, like how's school? You know, so you can just get to know each other and you know the environment and you feel the camaraderie, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate these kind of the Coder Dojo like programs where um, the outreach is fine. Like here with FLL, like we do in person because that kind of helps 
you know, the people know that everybody's contributing. So we, like uh, Jean mentioned, she has a big team. We try to keep in FLL, you know, we try to keep teams of four to six, maximum eight, mm-hmm. because then the attention span tries to like float away. <laughs> so by doing that, they all become uh, knowledgeable and responsible to each other. And that is something that these programs bring. And I was talking about the research program uh, that they do. So they, it's like find a world problem and try to make it better or try to provide a good new solution. So, you know, I see people going and researching and talking about solar panels and how solar panels and efficiency, especially in Texas, right? I live, I live in Texas. So uh, in Texas, you know, you have, you have, you can harness the power of sun so, so well. So these uh, sixth graders, seventh graders are thinking about these world problems that they can solve. That's prior to this, it was like ocean uh, with respect to oceans and stuff like that. So there's so many things that people discuss and uh, all we have to do is sit and encourage them. It's like, have you thought about this? What about this? And that's, and then you just sit back and enjoy this holistic development of the kids involved. In Belgium, we have seen with Code Dojo, it exists 10 years, that there are more girls in, in STEM education. More girls choose for an engineering or a computer uh, education. We think or we hope that Code Dojo had some impact there. Uh, we even have Code Dojo for Girls, which is an annual event with girls only. Do you think that's a good idea to really focus on attracting more girls into IT? There's different schools of thoughts here. I also volunteer for TEALS. Or actually, you know, this was prior to COVID and I kind of took a break and now I'm going to go back into it. And TEALS is something, it's like um, education and kind of supporting uh, people in learning, especially with respect to science and technology and engineering. And the focus is programming languages, but also there's like now AI and data engineering and all those things. This is, so, this is such a cool thing. And like you mentioned, Frank, like, you know, we didn't have these things, you know. So for us, for me to see this, the access that TEALS and other programs provide to high school kids uh, is really, really uh, interesting. But going back to just focusing on girls, I think. I think high school, the transition, I think, and Jean touched on it a little bit, like the transition uh, from middle school to high school is, is, is a very, it's, it's a big hump because at that time, you know, girls do tend to feel uh, the pressures, the social pressures. And, and then, you know, I'm not going to do this because if my girlfriend is not doing this or my girlfriend thinks this is really tough or math is hard. So and and I hear these things because, and of course, it is anecdotal evidence, right? But I have so many anecdotal evidences that I, they seem to form a pattern where uh, I hear um, the friends and and my you know fellow this person that I met at a conference uh, from Australia talking about this. So girls do need that extra push, that extra encouragement, that extra helping hand, you know. Um, and that just, just based on my various conversations that I've had, you know, it's all over the world. It's not something of you specific problem, but we do have these opportunities and why not, you know, why not extend, they spend that one extra day, just making something special for girls. And, and then they see, and then they learn and then they're like, oh, I am not bad. It was just probably, I was either, you know, my, you know, health issues or just that one 
wrong teacher. You know, it could be this one or one bad day. The teacher had a bad day, whatever. But you don't base your entire disagreement towards science or engineering based on that one bad day that may, or you know, maybe your friend had a bad day or whatever. So, but if you sit, you know, if you just have a little bit of handholding, I think you can go a long way. I, I wish that girls only programs weren't necessary, but I think that they are. And I like that there's a choice of programs so you can choose what you fit in. You know, but th- there's different reasons for it, right? I remember when I was in 10th grade and boys had cooties, right? I wasn't going to go into a program where I was the only girl at that point. So having the option to do something with other girls is nice. And there's also the aspect of it's awkward being the only girl doing something. And it's awkward when you're an adult, you know, Adding that pressure to a little kid is going to be like, you know, forget it. I'm going to go do something else. So I think it's nice to be able to do that. But I think it's important to have a mix of programs because it's important to know how to interact with all types of people. And I think having that mix helps because then you have the network of other girls from your girls only thing. And if you go into something else and you are only girl, it's okay because you have that strength of, you know, I know what I'm doing. I know how to interact. But I think if you have it go on for too long, then you get into the real world and all of a sudden there are boys and what do you do, right? You have to learn how to deal with the personalities of the boys. There are times at work where I'm like raising my hand like a crazy person because I can't shout over people. But it's, you know, it's a skill and it's a technique. And I learned that from being in an environment that was a lot more like the real world. So I know that answer sort of sits me on the fence, but I do think both matter. Indeed, it would be nice if we don't need these events. But I agree with Jean. Like I grew up, uh, which kind of felt like a solo environment. And my my dad was a mechanical engineer, so uh, you know, and my family, chemical engineers, and all this. So it was not new to me from my background. But I went into the world, and you know, it was just really challenging to not find people like me. And then, you know, I was asked questions. Did you go to all girls school? And so like that, just because I just could not communicate because I went to an engineering school where there are very few girls, you know, seems like it did affect me in my communication style and everything, because I tend to wear, be very quiet like a mouse. And then it took me years. I used to take notes, though, copious amounts of notes. And that's how kind of mm-hmm. learned and became better. But I hope it's not another girl that has to be has to go through these things, you know, and that's why I think they're needed until there's a point where they're not needed anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, the world is equal in it's not about providing opportunities because I know there are opportunities, but in providing that uh, going over that hump, you know, that's that's what we need. And that's all that's needed. Mm-hmm. Maybe just check ins, you know, maybe just check in with the girls and say, hey. You know, I see that you may be feeling this or that. And then, you know, and just check in with them and see that how you can help. At the same time, I think it's important for there to be mixed gender things starting from a young age as well. So we don't develop another generation of boys that think girls can't do technology. You know, separating has a cost as well. Let's, let's also do a call to coaches, female coaches, because that's a problem I see in the Code of Dojo. We are, all my coaches are, are male. So I don't know, uh, Igor, the Code of Dojo, you attend if there are female coaches, but that's also an issue. We don't have role models there for the girls. We, we, we have, I think, one third of the participants are, are girls. So that's okay, but they don't have a role model. I don't know if you are role models, but... Actually, that's what we, I think, a bit miss as, as coaches, is female coaches. Igor, do, do you have uh, female coaches in the Coder Dojo? 
Yes. Yes and no. Like <laughs> one of the places that I usually to participate was loads of women as a volunteer. So they mm-hmm. kind of uh, can be like an inspiration and provide as a woman. But uh, normally it's a man who is the kind of the responsible mm-hmm. and the teacher. And that is a fun part. Uh, here in Ireland, anyway, history stuff, they, they normally do some schools just for boys, just schools just for girls. One of the places that I usually to go was a school just for girls. But the Coder Dojo was open for any uh, sex. So it was, was funny to see. The school mm-hmm. was just for for girls, but the Coder Dojo was open. Like it should be <laughs> for everyone. How did participating in First and Coder Dojo influence your job? For me, it, it got me into contact with Raspberry Pi, with Arduino. I started writing about Raspberry Pi. Now writing has become my job. So for me, Kododojo changed my career, definitely, because it brought me into contact with other people and other technology. It, does the same apply to you? I know I knew Raspberry Pi and Arduino before I discovered Dojo, but f- I guess it was kind of a experience to be inspiration, creativity, like to show your, uh, how they can do it, to kind of mentor kids and and see what they can do and how they think. And I, I guess that's more the, the thing. I kind of uh, show them like how oh, you can uh, use this and blink a LED and see the spark and the other like, oh, I can blink a LED. Or anyway, I I learned uh, about Scratch, as you said, like my first contact with Scratch was in a Coral Dojo and uh, how they can use that, that uh, simple drag and drop stuff and generate code and things that works. Uh, another uh, thing that's big here in Ireland, I guess, came from K is the Microbit. They same. it's like a, the Raspberry Pi Foundation. They provide lots of course, lots of content. You can connect uh, Microbit with almost everything, even with Lego mm-hmm. and uh, Scratch, and you drag and drop, and you, you have kind of a, a LCD or a LED, a LED matrix. You can create some animations there and... It's fun to see what they can do. I have a few areas where it helped me. Um, one of them is the technical tools. I learned I learned Slack, I learned Discord, I learned Desmos, which is a graphing calculator. I wouldn't have been exposed to some of them at all, or at least not as soon if it wasn't for the robotics team. Um, the second area is teaching skills. I, it helps me connect when we have entry-level people or new people. I'm better able to explain things because I send so much of my free time doing it. And the third one is soft skills, learning how to mentor better and recognizing that people change and you know they evolve over time. And just because you had an interaction with someone three years ago, it doesn't mean they're the same person anymore. How to teach, like uh, try to explain what is, I don't know if you get something crazy, like how will you explain Kubernetes for someone who doesn't know what is. So I guess I learned a lot, like how to create a, a simple or a faster way to explain difficult concepts. I think I've been doing this for a long time. So it's helped me so many places that there is this whole concept of why to write a well-documented code or why to have a good project plan or a you know statement of work and all those things. And I can explain that better because when, when I'm interacting with kids, they ask you questions. They make you... <laughs> to think about it in a way that, oh, let's have a plan. Let's have this. What are we trying to do? So 
you break it down and it's kind of like comes naturally now to me because of my interaction with everybody. Uh, that's just one aspect of it. There is the other aspect of uh, when I'm doing uh, interviews. It's really helpful for me to now understand that, I mean, I, I was always of the mindset that you don't have to really like write 10 lines or 25 lines of code just to prove that you know a concept. But now I can think of in terms of, uh, you know, object-oriented programming and trying to tell them like, hey, you just tell me algorithmically or in an object-oriented concept or just tell me how you think. And that's how I want to understand, uh, you know, if you're a good fit for it. Because it changes because kids, they will teach you how they want to learn. And that then I can bring it to different aspects of it. You mentioned, Igor, uh having the first blinking LED. It's like the hello world of programming. Eh? So if you go to, to electronics, if you can blink a LED, you can do anything. <laughs> But also, yeah, there are so many amazing technologies at a very low price. I think we live in a good time for that. Like the micro bit, I'm not sure. I think it's about $10, something like that. And you have LEDs on it, you have buttons on it, you have sensors on it. So You have very amazing devices for a low price, like Arduino boards. That's also what we use. Lego is a bit more expensive, but having a Lego robot that follows a black line and, and solves riddles on this on this this uh, game table, that's really amazing. What, what is the kind of technology that you think that children can inspire the most? We we came from the era that uh, we learned virtual, right? Like I remember doing microcontrollers in a virtual program, simulating everything without seeing. So nowadays, five euros, you can buy a Raspberry Pi Pico, you can have some ESP board or microbit, microbit or Arduino. So it's kind of a really easy to get one, play with without the fear of breaking or no understanding. Mm -hmm. So you have a freedom to do whatever you want and like broke, burn, put fire, <laughs> do everything. So I guess that brings the joy, right? Mm -hmm. You can play with, you don't, without knowing what's going to happen. Combines with the, the three rules, like try first, see what's happening, then ask help, it's fun. Yeah, I mean, there's one of the things in high school, uh, this is a 10th grade project, you know, have your passion projects. And and I see so many girls and boys doing engineering, but talking specifically of enablement and tools in uh, in computers and, and programming, there is this whole concept of IO devices, right? Particle IO. So this, uh, this kid actually did this project where he would... Um, have his own garden at a smaller scale, but it was enabling watering and enabling like, you know, timed uh, distribution of nutrients, checking for nutrients. You can do that. It's just like the whole concept of edge is right at your, you know, with the IO devices, these kind of small boards and small uh, sensors, you can do all that. And he actually finished that entire thing. And uh, it was pretty, uh, it's pretty phenomenal to do that. Like, you know, I, 
I, my background is in embedded devices. Actually, I started <laughs> when I started in uh, doing my projects. It was I started with heartbeat uh, monitoring systems. You measure your heartbeat through mm-hmm. a sensor and everything. So I went. We used to. I used to go and shop for parts. So we did microcontrollers and timers and sensors and everything. And it was like it was a big deal. Like you didn't have the parts, you didn't have this, you didn't have that. And nobody's selling you just one thing. <laughs> you know, you have to buy more and then maybe you know work with your school to enable that and all those things. But now, you know, getting these particle I.O. boards and all these things just at your doorstep Mm -hmm. and having the program, you don't even, I mean, some of them just encourage the free uh, development and stuff like that because it's all about learning. And and people can just get it done within this passion project timeframe. I am so amazed. It's just lovely to be alive and see kids thrive in this era. The one thing we're struggling with is we also want to show them 3D printing, but that takes so much time. <laughs> so we have a code dojo takes three hours. So if they design something in one hour, that means we have two hours left and only one printer. And <laughs> so that's that's actually a hard thing to teach to kids is the whole 3D involvement and what's happening there. I uh, don't know if you've tried that with in one of your clubs already. We do. We, ha- we have um, two 3D printers. We use Onshape online to teach the kids how to write CAD. Um, there's a lot of good tutorials and trainings out there. And then when they're building something, we have every year we have one or two kids who are in charge of the 3D printer and they set up the prints and take them off so that you don't have to tie what you're designing to actual printer time. You come okay. back for it later. And at the first Robotics World Championships, they had a company that did that that you could submit your CAD that you needed printed and they would print it for you and you know email you or text you when it was available. We use that for a part that broke. Um, we submitted a slightly modified part and we were able to go pick it up in time for our next match. It's really an eye-opener for most of these kids is just drawing something and then, yeah, it takes an hour, but then you have a very little thing that is actually made of plastic with your drawing becoming a real <laughs> object. Uh, the same thing with the robot uh, following the black line stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and in FLL too. Like um, again, the project, the research project, and now all the stuff. It's you have to make a prototype. You know, it's kind of better to make a prototype because we can say everything, but it, you know, you have to give some functional representation. So for the solar thing, you know, um, uh, for my son's team, uh, you know, he's got himself, and then there's three other girls on the team, and then this girl wanted to learn CAD. Right. And she did. Mm-hmm. And she, she learned CAD. She designed the things and then they went and designed the tree printer. We have the 3D printer at home. So, of course, you know, there was some involvement from my son and from the person and they were interacting back and forth. And mind you, this is all over, uh, you know, like uh, through Zoom or some other forms of communication because they don't get to meet every day. But then the 3D printer and the progress has to be, you know, it's it's incremental every day. So that that was just amazing for me to see how people communicate and use technology and uh, can get work done. So, but just the whole concept of CAD, you know, CAD, if, if anybody has used CAD in their lives, you know, I used to be like, oh my gosh, and I have to do all these things and then block, and I did ORCAD and, you know, did the bill of materials and everything. And this girl just wanted to do it herself. She's like, I just want to do it. And she did it. And she did, just did it beautifully. So I'm just, I'm amazed by the, again, the enablement that this era has brought to the kids. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of open source CAD designs you can build on. So you don't want to start from scratch. Um, I do that when I have 
friend that's having a kid, I'll start with the basic thing I made once of a baby bottle and a thing, and then I put their name on it and then I print it. So I've basically given the same gift out like 20 times. And it was a bunch of work to do the first time. But then after that, it was easy. And I think for the kids, it's nice to have that starting point, right? You can start with something that already exists and make it your own. And then maybe eventually you got rid of the part that you started with and it's fully your own, maybe not, but you have something that's viable pretty fast. But as you mentioned, it's coding clubs, it's not the coding which is the most important part. It's learning to use tools, actually, and, and how to present and to work together. Like in the Coder Dojo Club in Ypres that we have, there is one girl who came the first one, and she's still there after nine years. She missed only one. That's uh, fewer than, than I myself did. Uh, and she's now 18 plus, but she keeps coming just for the friends that she made there. And she didn't do engineering, but she still comes and is uh, programming in JavaScript in Minecraft. So she's still doing that, although it's not part of her job and she's uh, outgrown the, the club actually, but yeah, she just wants to still be part of that, uh, that community. Did you see many of your volunteers become coach in your clubs? I had at some point a boy of 12 years who's really good in Arduino. So we just said, yeah, from now on, you're a coach, you know everything, you should show it to the other kids. Does that happen a lot on your side? We don't call it that, but the older kids absolutely teach the younger kids. Um, for us, a coach has to be an adult, it's a mm -hmm. defined role. Um, but yes, the younger kids definitely learn from the kids who learned it right before them and they enjoy it. Also, FIRST is very big on mentoring. So there's a lot of mentoring of other clubs that goes on. Um, for our high school students, they mentor other high school students and also elementary and middle school students. Yeah, same thing in FLL too. Like, you know, my daughter who's moved on to high school will come and uh, mentor and sometimes coach as well, uh, the young, uh, the middle schoolers and because they've been to the part and sometimes you get into this funk of, you know, you have to, you have to think beyond like, okay, they're trying to solve something, but is there something, you know, that you're getting stuck at or whatever. So having a fellow student come and tell you, uh, you know, and run ideas by that sometimes it's easier because you know the student as 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 a senior or as a as as a just as a person that exists and has gone through the same problem as you so it kind of helps uh, relax the initial you know the hurdle that you may have with respect to interactions so i i think it's just and people like giving back the whole concept of giving back is just so important in this in the generation, no matter what kind of things, you know, uh, so even giving back via coaching or mentoring and, you know, coming back, even if it's just one day a week or whatever, I think I've seen kids and adults, everybody, just, just the whole concept of giving back is, is important to humans. Something else. Uh, we are all Java lovers here, I think, uh, in this, in this podcast. Igor, uh, on Fuji, you shared several posts about Java experiments that you did with Arduino and Raspberry Pi. It's uh, somewhat a controversial subject using Java on these small embedded platforms. Um, why do you think it's a good match? Why are you experimenting with this combination? I normally do for fun. It's not something that I start like I I have my blog. I always do like something Java, Raspberry Pi and Kafka. Every idea that I saw, something that is sparking my idea, or something that I, I I see, I said, can I do this with Java? Can I do this with Java and run on Raspberry Pi? Or can I add 
Kafka on the top of that somehow even doesn't make sometimes doesn't make sense but I do it so it's more about the fun like for example I usually to play a lot I I have interest in uh, server side rendering when you create kind of a Java application with the the GUI itself as on Java so then I see boards or uh, sensors can I create a GUI that controls that sensor I then I play like it. I will do in Spring. No, I'm going to do in Micronaut. No, this time it's going to be Quarkus or any other, fr- Elidon, Vertex. I try to different frameworks because I have kind of a background in a data engineer area. Sometimes I try like uh, adding uh, uh, Hadoop or Spark or Kafka or even Kubernetes, create a cluster, see what's happening. So it's more about the fun. I know it's a controversial topic, but I guess... It's not about uh, they don't like Java or they don't do it Java. It's like what happens on the Coder Dojo, for example. It's it's kind of they they created this. You start with scratch, then you try to learn some uh, uh, web, HTML, and JavaScript. And if you use hardware, Python. And they fix on of these four, three or four options. So you if you get the the list of time ten most used language. It's not only Java is there, but it's not only Java. Kotlin, whatever, Scala, C, C++, C Sharp, PHP. They don't, they don't focus on those. You can do it with those. Yes, mm-hmm. you can, but it's not the focus. I guess the Java is the same. It's not they dislike the Java. They don't want Java. It's, it's not the main thing. And again, there is opportunity here for creating content and, and show this. I, I usually joke like every time that you get a, any idea, and you run that idea in Raspberry Pi, is idea that already exists someone already did hundreds of times. But just because you put on the top of the Raspberry Pi, people say, no, what's amazing idea, how nice is it's, Man, it's the same thing, it's just running on the Raspberry Pi. And uh, for example, uh, with the GrowVM, now you can run native images. So can I run a native image on the Raspberry Pi? And, People get crazy, like, no, that's amazing, create a native. But it's, it's, the concept is the same. There is nothing new there. So normally I do for the fun. Yeah, it's just a Linux PC, like any other, but a bit smaller and a bit uh, less expensive. When I discovered Raspberry Pi, was, I don't know, eight, nine years ago, as I said, majority of my uh, work experience was Java, but I was learning Python. And I used Raspberry Pi for learning Python that time. So I kind of improved my Python with Raspberry Pi. But then after a while, I said, can I try your thing? For example, I'm there is one year and, and a half, more or less, that I'm doing Kotlin, working with Kotlin. So I started doing, can I style Kotlin Raspberry Pi? Can I do some some small code, see what's happening, blink a lead, things like that. Yeah. It's a great combination. Uh, of course, I love it too, because I've written a whole book about it, but uh, it's a neat and amazing combination. Uh, it's the electronics that you can control with Raspberry Pi that makes it very interesting uh, to and me. I think it's the concept of object-oriented programming again. Like when you're thinking about robotics or electronics or any of these things, it's it's the comfort of uh, you know being able to manipulate uh, data and have the logic together. And that's the whole concept of object-oriented programming. Second thing with Java, it gives you a runtime. You can reduce the runtime to whatever it is. So you don't have to worry about things and you just concentrate on the logic and the data uh, manipulation. So it doesn't have to be 
just Java, like you said, Python and other things. You know, I started with C and I used to like work with embedded programming and then I moved up the layers or levels or whatever. But I still get giddy when I'm doing a microcontroller, I'm looking at a microcontroller or looking at a particle IO board and trying to figure out how to control. So I think we're comfortable with Java and we have seen the evolution of Java. And then, um, you know, nowadays people learn Java in an easier, uh, like scratch-like uh, environment too. So it's easier for me to teach Java because I know the concepts and then I can use an environment that is like plug and play. It's like, oh, you, this is your coding block. And now let's talk about polymorphism or something like that. So just using Java is something that I am comfortable and conversant. But it, it, what I really am, I think what it really boils down to the entire concept of object-oriented programming, at least for me. Do you see Java being used a lot in education? in the schools that you get into contact with? Yeah, number one programming language. I think Python is catching up as well because mm -hmm. it's, you know, people use it for, like, for example, FLL now also enables uh, uh, Python programming and kids think it's it's better. It's used in, uh, you know, AI and everything like that and ML technologies. But I think number one so far, you know, I have my AP for the TLs, especially all the AP classes, the computer programming is like Java, it's mm -hmm. Java based. And again, I'm comfortable with that. So I'm just going to brag about it more. <laughs> but Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, I was going to say, because in the United States, advanced placement classes, which are college classes you take in high school are done in Java, it's in a lot of schools. Um, while Python is becoming an official language choice next year for the big robots, I, I don't think it's good to use because the cost of testing on the robot is way higher. And you do have the simulator, but most teams aren't writing the type of JUnit test that we would write in the real world. So I think they're going to be wasting a lot of time on stupid compiler things. That's a great point, you know, and one of the things that Java, again, it goes back to the runtime environment, right? You have the entire thing. We recently, I was involved in enabling Java on Windows and ARM. So we actually wrote the port. So people can now use these, uh, your tablets or whatever, you know, to, and you can run Java. And of course, you can reduce and the modularity and the, and the way you can make your uh, JRE like really skinny. Right. Mm -hmm. And then use it on a Raspberry Pi. That's available. We're moving forward with Java to enable each and every uh, development platform, even if it's from your t small tablet to servers, you know, and then Java scales pretty well too. Mm -hmm. think about, you know, the concepts of threads and everything that Java brings to it. It scales to 128 cores <laughs> from four cores of, of your mobile tablet device or whatever. So I am totally fascinated. And again, I am biased towards Java. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I'm going to rest my case here. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're all biased a bit. But I think yeah, there are two evolutions. Java is improving and you can make it smaller if you want to. Although on the other side, you have the Raspberry Pi 4, which is really a performant thing. There are some rumors about the Raspberry Pi 5 probably next year. So again, it will be more performant. I'm really looking forward again to uh, whatever that will be uh, possible on these uh, devices. Yeah, I'm asking the question for education because I see in Belgium, but we're a small country, uh, most of the high schools have chosen C Sharp. I think because of industry in Belgium, more asking for these kind of roles. Even within FRC, it's fairly regional. So I mentioned those three languages or seem to be four languages you have a choice of. LabVIEW is not very common in New York City, but it's super common in other places where 
like the Midwest. And a lot of it is you learn what you think you're going to be able to use to get an internship or a job, right? If you put LabVIEW on your resume in New York City, the financial companies are going to look at it and be like, so what's that? Right. If you put Java or C, C++, it's going to be like, OK, now we can talk about what you did and what you know. Right. So it makes sense for the teams to choose that. If you live in a place where LabVIEW is common, like there's a lot of electronics engineering stuff going on and you put LabVIEW on the resume, it's going to be like, oh, cool, you did LabVIEW. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and the United States is a far bigger place than Belgium. So we have that variety of things that happens within our own country. There's one more question I want to ask about STEM and STEAM. So you have science, technology, engineering and mathematics. But you also see the same, but with an A in between, and then arts is added. How important is the arts thing for you in everything related to engineering and STEM? I think it's very important to me. I always like, I don't correct people, but I myself make it a point. I write STEAM. You know, we can do a direct relationship like CAD, right? CAD is art. And we can do 3D printing. That's art. There's cricket, you know, this kind of like pre-formatted designs that people can do that. But it's using it's using science and technology and these kind of like fabric printing and other things. So these are art. But I think even just the concept of like uh, like sports, you know, and and understanding, uh, you know, uh, how to bring technology to sports. Like there's like. This trace cameras now, or I'm just name dropping, but that's the, what it comes to my mind right now. You have cameras that actually follow, um, uh, you know, it's like um, a smart sensor camera. It follows kids and their patterns, and then they records, and then you you improve. You know, there's a feedback. So technology drives on art, builds on art and derives from art, and vice versa. So uh, you cannot talk about. Uh, STEM without arts in it. So I think it goes together very well. It's interesting. I never thought of CAD as art before. I, I thought of art as more of the pure things. One of the problems I see with art being included in STEAM is how do you define art? And, and then it's like, well, what about language arts? What about other language? And, and now you have, it's like, so almost everything is in STEAM. And, and at some point you kind of steal the thunder of it by making it everything. So the pure art stuff and the CAD that I consider engineering, but I could see as art makes sense to me to include. But then when you start getting beyond that, it turns into, well, you know, we're giving funding for everything. Now it doesn't go to science and technology and math because it's going to something that is completely different. I see the art as more like imagination, creativity. Like I can blink a LED, but if I put on a cardboard and the, and the children like do a cartoon around, like I, I draw a hoodoff and the, the nose bleak. It's kind of more creativity, imagination. You can play around. You can kind of uh, put in a, a face, imitate kind of the mouth movement with a, a, a lead matrix or something like that. So I, I guess it's more, as we said, you add more fun to the, to the simple examples. But even in gaming, if you think about it, that's also like, you know, you have this creative designers, right? And they actually literally feed into the game and then your backdrops and, and the, you know, having blinky lights, like you said, and then that's like, how many times did it blink? And you put it in, that becomes a code and then you enter that. So it, I think it flows together as long as it flows together with the technology engineering concepts and encourages you again to, to feed off each other and, encourage, you know, kind of build up each other and, have strong engineering uh, technology, 
science foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's it, it is in, and I, I made sure that I enable and 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 I uh, enable the understanding. You know, when we're talking about arts, I want to understand people understanding how they coexist. You know. What's interesting about those forms of art is they have a technical medium, both the CAD and the game design. So it feels more connected, whereas mm-hmm. making a paint a painting feels less connected to me. Yeah, but making a painting on a on a tablet, <laughs> that <laughs> then you can actually you know have mathematics involved. You know, if you do this kind of like uh, orbits and stuff like that, and movement like uh, fluid movements or whatever, you have to calculate uh, the the circumference, and then you have to like uh, think about the shadows, the way they fall, and it's just so fantastic to me uh, how technology is so involved and maths are like they're all tied together so much. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just. Yeah, you're right. It depends on how we're weaving together. Yes. There is the controversial part. Coding is art. It is coding art. So we're always going to argue about like when you're coding, are you doing art or not? You're right. It's it's an expression, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like art, like language arts, but like it's coding art. It's another language and you're expressing yourself in that language. You're right. Architecture is another thing that falls into that space. Mm-hmm. Like, is it art? Is it science? Because that's one where you can't get away from the mass or the science in order to do it. You know, my bridge yeah. has to be functionally sound. <laughs> I can't say I'm going to ignore science because it looks pretty. Because you mentioned uh, art and, and cat. It reminds me of a talk I've seen many years ago of Nervous Jessica. I don't know if you know her, Jessica uh, Rosenkrantz. She uses mats to design uh, interior objects, lamps jewelry all inspired by mathematics and she made the whole dress out of 3d printed materials which all click together so she prints a folded sheet of 3d objects and when the print is finished you can just open it as a dress and she's even in the museum with these designs so i will definitely add a link uh, to her uh, to her work uh, in the show notes because indeed combining cuts and mathematics and 3d printing that that's really a steam uh, example yeah and that, that talking when jean mentioned that right architecture think about gaudi right everything is all about science and and math in every architectural aspect that gaudi has i am so floored like you know such the upside down thinking and all those things you need to be scientifically aware and and mathematically uh, brilliant to be able to design an architectural multiple architectural pieces that Gaudi did so i agree i'm on board <laughs> let's put architecture in there too double a <laughs> will be a very long name in in a short time okay something you want to add something you we didn't talk about and you definitely want to have in the podcast i have uh, four things to sh- project ideas that you can talk about one is the coolers project something that starts in europe they get a, i think it's open for everybody uh, who follow any coder dojo running code so we missed the project and they do kind of a context of the best projects around the world it's worldwide stuff and again, it's for kids, it's Steam, anyone can join and participate. There is two projects that is related, but it's more for maybe more old people or more mature people, maybe not for kids. The first one is Formula Pi. Formula Pi is kind of a, a Formula One, but the car is a Raspberry Pi car. And then he's, he goes in autonomous way, controlled by the feeds of the camera. 
you can even participate remote because you send the mm-hmm. code for them and then they do the race you you just watch the race on the youtube channel and this is kind of more advanced you need to understand like uh, image recognition and things like that but it's really fun and it's really nice to check around and then the the other one is the p wars p wars is kind of a battle of uh, robots there is different of types of battles like uh, you can just have a robot that follow the, li- the 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 black lines or kind of a Mario Kart. Your robot has a balloon and then the, some spikes and then you control and you need to burst the balloons of the opposite and things like that. It's, it's kind of nice as well. And the last one is AstroPi. AstroPi is kind of a, based on the Raspberry Pi Foundation. It's the European uh, space agents. And then they send kind of a, some Raspberry Pis through the space, and then the kids can apply projects or schools or any coder dojo related can apply projects, and they'll, those projects goes to space, and then you can play with things, and it's really nice ideas. The, the son of one of my coaches is on the AstroPi, so his project is running somewhere space. in space. Yeah, yeah, really amazing that indeed you can just ask kids program something and if it's selected we will just put it somewhere in space <laughs> so that's really great uh, monica jean something you want to add i want to do the commercial for volunteering <laughs> uh, all four of us have mentioned fairly time consuming things that we do in order to help young people with technology but it doesn't have to be time consuming you could volunteer as a guest speaker at a dojo or as a one-day volunteer at a first event. Adults judge, teenagers do all sorts of roles. That's a way that you can help out without having it to become this overarching thing that sounds overwhelming. You might like it and do more. Or it might be I judge one day a year and help out the youth that way. The website for FIRST is firstinspires.org. I will add also the links for Kudu Dojo and the other clubs. Uh, Monica? Yeah, I was going to say that too. And the thing to keep in mind is that there is a lot of training available. We're not just throwing you into the pit and say, go fish or go fend for yourself and, you know, may the best person win or something. It's we train every coder dojo. Everything is available to learn and take, you know, incremental steps with what you're comfortable with. Even in the TILS program, you may not be comfortable with co-teaching. Because, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort. But you could help out with the labs. You could help out with just, um, you know, uh, grading. And it helps you being there and you enabling uh, the teacher or the students and everything. One person life that you touch and enable. And that just kind of has monumental incremental effect. So, so I totally agree. Please volunteer. Just a tad bit <laughs> online. Now everything is online. You can do that online too. So we look for experts, but we also look for mentorship online. So you can, if you give a couple of hours a week or just maybe an hour or just check in, just to check in also. Anything helps. Thank you. Monica, you've talked about the TEALS program a few times as if everyone knows what it is. I learned at a conference, but could you do like the few sentence intro so that Frank can include that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's a Microsoft philanthropies program, but anybody can participate. And what they do is they kind of network with the schools in your area. It's mostly high school level uh 
uh, teaching, but uh, these are like underprivileged, underserved communities, and especially schools that you go to, so like charter schools and other areas where uh, we give a major focus is on computer science and technology. So that's, I think, the, the teal is like kind of supporting education, technology education and uh, stuff. So the volunteers, it's all volunteer run. So the volunteers actually go and help teachers, support the teacher. Because these, remember, our computer science teachers in, in public schools in, in the U.S., are not really somebody that just came out of like, uh, you know, industry. So they learn with you so that they can teach the kids the way to do it. So any industry experience that you have, um, or even your own background, you know, you have been graded, <laughs> you have written tests and you have graded, you know, you have been graded. So you just have to give it back and any help, uh, any little uh, help, uh, kind of works out. And going back to Frank's question of how are women important in places like that. So uh, just knowing that even if you, you know, even if you're not working in t serious technology, but just if have, have t dabbed on it like, with it or whatever, you just seeing you there, just seeing that you're supporting them, the students, the teachers, I think it's, it's being, it's just monumental. Thank you. Sounds really great. If you can add a link, uh, give me a link. I will add it to the show notes that everyone can find back all these uh, great uh, initiatives. Okay. I hope this podcast got you inspired to check out the coding clubs in your neighborhood. As you heard, we can all use uh, extra volunteers and extra help. All your kids and friends could also be interested in participating in the first robot challenge. Uh, a lot of possibilities there. I can promise you already that's a lot of fun if you participate. Thank you very much, first of all, the guests of this episode and you for listening. Keep an eye on Fuji for future articles about development and everything related to the Java world. Thanks for listening. Give me a foo, give me a J, give me the friends of OpenJDK.